Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Good to be joined with you again by on Zoom, I should say, once again. Um, three weeks left for the regular season. The Vikings face the Bears this week with sudden, maybe, NFC playoff implications because the Bears ended a six-game losing streak uh, with a win against Houston. So both teams are six and seven. We'll talk about the matchups going into that. Uh, who's going to be the Vikings kicker? Why that's maybe not so much a mystery as Mike Zimmer wants you to believe it is. Stand uh, okay, thanks, Ben. Thank we can, get, alert. <laughs> we can just end the podcast right there. Um, Kirk Cousins and his uh, alarming sack rate recently, taking 10 in the last two weeks, and how much of that is on him versus the offensive line. I think Kirk had some interesting things to say about that today. So, And then we'll take your Twitter questions like we always do. Um, guys, we've got to start in the obvious place here. I was looking at some of the stats for the Bears offense, and Mitchell Trubisky, who's back under center for them, the second overall pick a few years ago, um, his nickname is Mr. Biscuit. Did you guys know that? No. I did not know that. Like, no, that's a, that's a pro- first of all, please, his father's name was Mr. Biscuit. Please call him Mitch. No, I don't know. I, is, I, is that just one of those made-up things? I don't know. Is that – is pro football reference like Wikipedia where you can go in and enter whatever you want? I don't think I don't so. Think, don't think so. I, think it's, I don't think it's one of those like, yeah, user generated uh, editing things. I think it's run by professionals. Yeah. So where's this nickname stuff coming from? Cause they've had a few that are just out kind of out of the blue and Mr. Biscuit is one that I've never heard, but there was like one it. too. I think I saw just looking at Tom Brady's numbers today. And I think they had listed him as like the Sultan or something. I mean, never heard <laughs> I that never one called him that. Who calls him that? I don't, I don't know. Apparently, pro football reference. I could see it internally being a Patriot Way thing where they have to call him that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Biscuit. Anyway, Mitchell Trubisky's under have. center once again for Chicago. And the last time Chicago came to U.S. Bank Stadium with Mitchell Trubisky needing, or at least the Vikings, I should say, needing a win in December, it didn't go so well. Um, right now, Chicago's actually kind of rolling on offense a little bit. They've got, um, I believe, 350 yards in back-to-back games. They put up 30-plus points in back-to-back games. Um, They're running the ball once again. David Montgomery's back in that offense where he wasn't when the Vikings went there last month at Soldier Field. Uh, Ben, let me start with you and just ask, is it possible Mitchell Trubisky, Mr. Biscuit, could do what he did back in 2018 and come here and give the Vikings an upset? Before I answer that question, I would like to use a minute of my time to correct the record. Tom Brady is not known as the Sultan. He's known as the Pharaoh, according to Pro Football <laughs> Reference. Also known as TB12, Tom Terrific, Touchdown Tom, Goat, Comeback Kid, or Sir. Not sure who calls him Sir, but there you go. Anyway, Mitchell Trubisky, Mr. Biscuit. Uh, yeah, I think he could come in and, and give this defense trouble the fact that they did not play him in november it is a, which was on a monday night as cameron dancer told us today um they didn't it's a different challenge i think than it was with nick Foles. now <laughs> there are certainly times where we'll see mitch trubisky make life very easy for you we've, we've seen that at times with this quarterback as well but we've also seen him give them trouble in the sense that he runs around and makes plays based on 
guys over pursuing rush lanes and he kind of thrives on broken plays. It's, it's not something that probably works all the time, but if you, if you need it to work for a game, it's certainly, I think possible that he will give them trouble. I, I think it's a different challenge than it was in November. And the fact that they have Montgomery back, the fact that they have Akeem Hicks back, I think makes this a lot tougher than it was at the time. Yeah, we, of course, remember Akeem Hicks leaving that game. The Vikings won 19-13 at Soldier Field last month, one of the rare wins in Chicago, doing it with the offense, kind of pulling it out at the end. And it was in part because Akeem Hicks left with Dalvin Cook running for many of his yards after that. Um, Mike? No nicknames for Akeem Hicks on Pro Football Reference, by the way. (laughs) Want to check. Thank you. I appreciate you following up on that. We're going to need that kind of diligence throughout the podcast um, on any name that we bring up. Um, Throw a reportage over here. Yeah. Um, Mike, I know neither of these teams really look like playoff teams. Um, but at this point, it's going to be whether whichever team wins this game is going to set themselves up for being right there. If Arizona falls out of that playoff spot, then they will probably be the seventh seed going into the playoffs. said, so, you know, not mathematically, but, you know, whoever wins is seven and seven puts themselves in the spot where if Arizona goes one and two down the stretch and Arizona doesn't have a layup, I don't think. They've got Philadelphia, San Francisco, and the Rams, uh, I think, in their last three. And, you know, just projecting it out like I like I like to do. Like, basically, I the, the Vikings' most realistic path, if you don't think they're going to win at New Orleans, which I don't think, although New Orleans just lost to the Eagles, so anything is possible. Um, if you think they're going to go at best two and one and beat the bears, which is not a gimme and beat the lions. Um, the best bet is then for Arizona to, I believe, lose this week to Philadelphia beat San Francisco, which then takes San Francisco out of the mix and then lose that finale to the Rams. So all these things are doable, but it does start obviously with this game. And you're right. Neither of these teams, I mean, Mikey started one five, the bears had a, a six game losing streak. Uh, do I read that correctly? Uh, and the fact that both of them are still, uh, in the hunt to make the playoffs does tell you something about the NFC and, you know, even in, the, in a year with an extra, you know, the playoff team extra being added, they, they wouldn't really be anywhere close to a sniffing a playoff spot if this was 2019 after losing to Tampa Bay, but here they are and they've got a, they, they've got a chance at least, but I think Ben's point was a good one that this isn't the same bears team necessarily that they just beat a few weeks ago quarterback being completely different. And, you know, like, like Ben said, Trubisky can give just as well as he can, you know, take away from a, from a team and he can, you know, he, he can be a, a gift. And I, you know, maybe a Vikings team that doesn't have a great defense, but maybe doesn't, you know, try to make those splash plays, maybe has a little bit better chance of containing some of those runs this year, but yeah, he, he can beat you in different ways than, than Nick Foles can. I'm, I'm more worried probably about, Montgomery and, and Hicks coming back because that that could spell problems for Dalvin Cook and problems for you know a run defense that's still been pretty shaky in a lot of matchups so Montgomery's you know I don't know where you put him in the echelon of running backs but he's pretty versatile and he had a nice game last week uh, against uh, against Houston yeah and, and Cordero Patterson was playing running back at that point he was doing pretty well for them um, getting some runs against the Vikings Ronald Jones did well um, I want to last week in Tampa Bay, I should say, Ben, I wanted to ask you though, about the Vikings offense. I mean, we see them kind of fall apart a bit uh, in Tampa Bay. I mean, they were able to move the ball. They obviously dominated to start, but they couldn't throw downfield. How much is that going to be a concern going into to this game where Chicago's kind of taken that away every time you've played them already? I think it's definitely a concern. I mean, I think the, the approach we're going to see from the bears is 
similar to what we saw last week from the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have been a heavy blitz team, but they didn't do as much of it last week because I think they figured they didn't have to. And you, you certainly, that's been the MO for the Bears, is we can get pressure with four. We don't need to devote a lot of extra resources to the pass rush. And we're going to make you have to play underneath. We, we're not going to let you go over the top. So I think when you have that type of an approach, and that, that I think is always difficult for quarterbacks. That that always seems to kind of be the secret sauce to slowing down a lot of these prolific passing games is being able to get pressure with four and devote seven to coverage. So I think that's going to be a lot of it. And I also think the fact that it may be harder to run the ball and put yourself in advantageous third downs could make this difficult as well. So, yeah, I, I think trying to beat this defense, given the fact that we saw the template work last week is is going to be a big challenge and and really i mean you're going to see the saints do a lot of the same things i think that's a defense that stops the run really well and can get after cousins to some degree so um yeah i mean if you if you're trying to go downfield against teams that do this in coverage um you're probably doing so at your own peril but as we have learned from bruce arians over the years the motto he lives by is no risk it no biscuit so (laughs) <laughs> it all it all ties together over time how much do you feel like that's kind of been on him in terms of his time being here and do you feel like I guess um that when you look at a game like Sunday where Tampa Bay is kind of rushing with four they're still getting pressure on Cousins and sometimes he's just not getting the ball out um do you feel like it is a quarterback stat as Kirk said um in games like that I think it can be I think I think if you're looking at it, I think we got there's there's three things that are working against the Vikings when it comes to pressure, especially lately. Um, one is that Cousins does tend to hold the ball sometimes, and especially in situations where he's bound to determine not to make a mistake. You saw some a lot of those. I don't couldn't tell you the exact number, but it felt like three of those sacks Sunday came in the red zone or while they were driving, like they were you know, third down third down, second down, kind of pass, passing plays. Um, maybe ben All six were been. in the Bucks territory. Okay, that's even better. Um, so, you know, places where he's determined not to make a, make a mistake, but he, he, he will take a sack. Uh, he, he will, you know, work through his progressions. He's not necessarily a, you know, he, sometimes he'll go to his first read, but sometimes he's going to be the kind of guy that, you know, tries to, tries to see if he can make something happen, and then the, the, the play is going to collapse on him. Second of all, you know, the Vikings offensive line for any – improvements they've made this season is still not a great offensive line. I don't even know if we call it a good offensive line. I think the jury's out if we call it a mediocre offensive line. So there's still going to be issues against good teams. Tampa Bay has some talented defensive players. I think when things were going a little bit better in the middle of the season, it was maybe a function of playing some defenses that maybe weren't quite as good. And now they're going to run into uh, some groups that are quite a bit better, you know, with the bears they did with Tampa Bay and they're going to see the same thing with New Orleans next week. I think the third piece of it honestly is, the play calling and the philosophy that is espoused by Gary Kubiak and to an extension, Mike Zimmer puts the Vikings in a lot of third down, obvious passing down situations where, you know, if they threw a little bit more on first and second down, maybe he wouldn't have that, that high of a sack rate when, when you're forced into third and even four or five, it's pretty sure what's going to happen. It's going to be a pass and pass rushers, are going to be able to tee off on him against a, a mediocre. And that's part of that. That's what I wanted to get to in terms of the coaching, because that's part of what Kirk was talking about in terms of, um, cause he's talked before Ben, you've spoken with him about how he looks at other quarterbacks and thinking, how do I 
kind of emulate some of what they do, whether it's Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, guys who get the ball out quickly, have those low sack rates. Some of that's out of his hands, right? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, some of it is play calling. And we have seen this be a team that likes to take shots downfield. And there's nothing wrong with that. But those types of plays take longer to develop. So, I mean, that's the old North Turner thing with seven-step dropbacks and try to develop things downfield. The famous one with that, of course, is, I mean, that was not Teddy Bridgewater's preferred style of, of offense. I mean, he wanted to get the ball out quick. And the one we've talked about it, I think in recent weeks, we've talked about it, but the one in Arizona where it was a long developing play on the, the last play of the game and Bridgewater took a strip sack for that game. They lost in 15 and he hinted and Mike Zimmer did more than hint that they didn't like that call. So th- yeah, I think there are times where, they, they don't throw a lot of quick developing stuff. And we saw it a little bit with Jefferson. I think they threw a screen to him and he had one where it was like a sit down in the zone for eight yards. And then he gained like another nine after the catch. So they have a little bit of that, but they, they do like to stretch the field. And as Mike said, there are times where cousins, I think is worried about making a mistake and then holds the ball because of that. So, yeah, some of it is that, but yes, he has talked about that in the past. I, when I had a conversation with him a couple of years ago about what makes an elite quarterback, that was the first thing he brought up, if I recall, was the idea that you look at guys that have done this for 15 years and you have to figure at some point in there, they had an offensive line that either wasn't very good or they had guys that got injured. And if those sack rates continue to be low, the constant there is the quarterback. So he does much to the delight of the analytics community, look at this as a quarterback stat, which then means that he's putting some of that onus on himself to be better at it, either getting rid of the ball and trusting guys to make plays. I thought the, the sack that Antoine Winfield had on Sunday, they ran an RPO on that. And it was like anybody who's played Madden could tell you that if you run play action and there's a blitz coming, you're going to get creamed. So there was, I, I think a couple of those on Sunday where, he probably could have done something a little bit different, but there are also times where the play calling doesn't help him either. So yeah, kind of a mixed bag there. Yeah. And I think right now too, they're taking just too many. It's 10 sacks in the last back-to-back um, two weeks. It's season highs too in each of those weeks. Cause they hadn't taken four until they played the Jaguars and they certainly hadn't taken six. until they played the Buccaneers. Uh, Mike Zimmer didn't want to talk about it though today. Just said, Hey, let's talk about the bears. <laughs> um, classic Vikings, bears. classic Vikings. Bears the bears the or the boat. You want to talk about <laughs> bears, the bears or the Bailey? Uh, Yeah, Mike, at least you didn't have a boat scandal that you had to worry about. It's just your quarterback getting hit constantly. Um, All right. Speaking of things Mike Zimmer doesn't want to talk about, we should talk about Dan Bailey and the kicking situation. Dan Bailey is the only kicker on the roster right now. They did bring a veteran in for a tryout. Ben, I'm going to let you pronounce his name. Um, I think that's (laughs) that's the only other guy that they could bring in at this point if they've got him going through testing. And that would be with no practices if they decided to play him on Sunday against the Bears. So while Mike Zimmer doesn't want to name a kicker, we kind of know it's going to be Dan Bailey. Yes, we do. Because the the kicker that they had on the roster that could have taken his place, even if it only been for a week, Tristan Vizcaino, they cut. And the kicker they brought in, is his name is Chandler. Good luck up his last Chandler. name. Chandler. Atanzaro, I think. Yeah. Um, did the Friends episode where they got Chandler's name wrong on the – TV guide comes to Chandler, mind. It's Chandler Bing. It's Chandler, Chandler Bong. It's Chandler, Chandler Bong. You can, there's something where you could start the protocol on the day that the guy gets to town. So if he had gotten to town Monday, for example, mm-hmm. and you sign him, 
you could have him ready by Saturday, I think. But that's still, I mean, say you do that. Say they got him here Monday, which we don't know because the tryout was yesterday. But say they did. Even in that scenario, you're not getting a practice between him, Britton Colquitt, and a long snapper that you've already switched in the middle of the season. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's going to be anybody other than Dan Bailey. And then that leads to a little bit of the question of if it's going to be Dan Bailey, why does Mike Zimmer continue to let him twist in the wind? Maybe he's told Dan Bailey that he's going to be the guy and it's just to own the media that he's not saying anything, which, okay, I guess, go for it. But the what you're actually doing, which is a lot more valuable than what he says, and we've, we've said this before, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. What they're doing would suggest very strongly it's still going to be Dan Bailey on Sunday. And I think it's worth going back to how they handled this, not, not the most recent times, it was Daniel Carlson, but a kicker that they had trusted that kind of went through a, a stretch that ultimately ended up leading to them releasing him, but Blair Walsh in 2016. So he had that game against the lions at the beginning of November, where I think he, I want to say missed two field goals and an extra point. And it had a lot of issues throughout the year, but that was the one that really started to, it cost him that game. They lost in overtime. He kind of had to blow up in the, at the reporters in the locker room for asking about it afterwards. And they brought guys in for tryouts that week. And then he had one more, chance in Washington the next Sunday missed a kick early and it was like okay that's it so it was kind of down to his last strike at that point and and maybe that's where we're at with Dan Bailey but I think overall Bailey's had a solid year and has been fairly solid for them in his time here in fact got a a million dollar bonus last year because his field goal percentage was so good so I I think there's some conflict here in their minds about can he ride this out and if so do we react too quickly by cutting him like we probably did with Daniel Carlson? Or is this the beginning of a Blair Walsh like kind of set of the yips that he never recovers from? And that's kind of the hard thing to know. Yeah. And they would be smart. I mean, nobody would kind of look at them sideways if they brought in every available kicker to try out in these last few weeks. Cause why not look at your long-term options? If you've got any concern that Dan's not going to be able to get out of this or be a consistent guy for you long-term, um, just why not look at your options and then fill your offseason roster like that? So that's why a tryout that they could be bringing in um, in, in Chandler Catanzaro, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Sure. All right. Thank you. Um, that I believe you could bring him in and then just kind of, yeah, evaluate your options long term while still sticking with Dan. Just what's the issue in just saying Dan's our kicker for the rest of the season? Like, what's the issue in saying that? But it's too what's hard. What's Corey Viedvik doing? All right, guys. Well, that's our kicking that's breakdown for today. Right there. That's our kicking breakdown for today. Let's get to your Twitter questions. All right. Welcome back, everybody. If you're listening on Facebook Live or if you're still sticking with us in the Access Vikings podcast, Michael Rand, Andrew Kramer, Ben Gessling. Got a lot of good questions from you guys this week. That the, the losses bring out the angst. I feel like when they lose, we get like 18 questions. When they win, we got like four because people yep. are like, well, everything's okay. I don't, I'm not really, not really that upset. So when they have the winning streak or the winning, the winning stretch, uh, things are, uh, Things are different uh, now after Dan Bailey left 10 points on the field. Questions. Everybody's got questions. Andrew, do you have one teed up? I sure do. One of my favorites, actually, this was good off of the topic we were just talking about on the podcast regarding the kicking situation. Um, Ryan asked, can long snapping be too perfect? (laughs) They were worried about the bounce snaps from Austin cutting before he was cut. Um, But Dan Bailey's miss rate has skyrocketed with those on target snaps. Gentlemen, what do you think? 
I mean, maybe it's like an old car where you're used to, <laughs> you know, it, it always pulls to the left and you get a new one and it takes a while to adjust to the fact that you don't have to compensate anymore. I, I don't know. It's maybe now, something to do that. There, there, there might actually be something to this because, Mike, you were talking to Ryan Longwell this week and maybe there is something with the timing anyway of being used to a long snapper. Yeah, he, he's my go-to kicking expert. I talk to him like once every 18 months when the Vikings <laughs> kicking situation goes sideways. Um, and, the, you know, he, he was great. He's, he's good at talking about the craft. And he was talking about how in 2006, when he signed with the Vikings, he, you know, he and Colin Leffler and Chris Cluey were getting together. And Cluey had never been a holder before. So, um, you know, they're trying to get the whole operation down. And he's like, I want Colin Leffler, when you, when you go do this, I want you to like, I want everything you do to be just like the game. I want you to set the ball down just like the ref would. I want you to, to you know, spin the ball into your hand. We, we want to get this whole timing thing down. He said, by about six weeks, you know, through training camp, they were struggling. They're missing kicks. Childress was like, what's going on? He's like, trust me, we'll get this down. And when we do, we'll never have to have this conversation again. Once they finally got it down, they got it down to within like a tenth of a second. Every time it's it's the same thing, the snap, the hold, the, everything is everything's on on the same kind of wavelength. And if you work with a different snapper, and he's you know, he said that that can make a big difference. He said, I don't know if that's what's uh, but he said his worst year in the NFL was when they went with a different holder. Like anything that disrupts what you're used to, whether it's timing, whether it's just something slightly different with the laces, that can have either a, a physical or a mental impact. So I don't know. He Longwell made all the kicks with the new snapper the first two weeks. I don't know if that's what's going on, but you never know when, when someone all of a sudden can't make a kick, you know, maybe it started out that way. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, now this confidence is shot, but there could be something to it. That is true. Yeah. Bailey, Bailey had made, I think every kick when um, the new long snapper came in for Austin cutting. Um, But then once they cut cutting, everything kind of went awry. Maybe they're just close friends, you know, can affect people emotionally too. Can it be too perfect though? That's that's just it. Um, got another question here from Scott and it's, it's not, he's got a few of them, but I wanted to start with this topic because it was interesting that Stefan Diggs came out and basically confirmed what the entire beat had been reporting. Certainly we'd been talking about on the podcast for a long time, um, that he, uh, didn't get enough opportunities in the offense, didn't like the direction they were going. And I, I need to find Stefan's direct quote, but he basically said it wasn't going to be good for me to be in Minnesota. Um, Ben, that comes as no surprise to anybody who's been paying attention, right? No, it does not. I mean, yeah, we've said it and um, we've said it on this podcast. We've written it. That was the issue the entire time. Even when he was trying to say there's no issue that I mean, people were telling us that whole summer and that week that that was absolutely the issue. He did not like the direction of the offense. He did not like the fact that he wasn't featured in it. I mean, it was I, I think the way that they structure the offense is part of it. But he he was probably had become, I think in his own mind, probably option number three, because he saw Dalvin cook getting more run and he saw Adam Thielen kind of as this favored son, so to speak. And, and at least in the beginning of that year, certainly Thielen was getting a lot of the targets in the early, early part of last year. So yeah, that, that was the issue the entire time. Now the question of, did he have an issue with Kirk cousins? I, I have heard things about, there were times where he didn't feel like cousins trusted it enough and didn't give him quite as many opportunities, but the issue all along was the direction of the offense and the direction of the scheme more so than anybody individually. So yeah, this was not a surprise. It was interesting to hear him say it, but uh, yeah, it certainly has tracked with what we've been reporting all along. 
Yeah, let me let me read Scott's remarks. I just skipped right over that. Scott said that he's glad Stefan clarified he never cared for how Stefan was painted as a diva. He was just ultra competitive. The offensive plan is a reflection of a coach, but also uh, one that's at odds with the most modern offenses that are built. Um, he just says the Vikings take pride in doing things differently and so forth. And then Stefan said recently, uh, his direct quotes were the Vikings were kind of gearing towards a run heavy offense at the time. I didn't know it going in. I didn't know it was going to be that way. They only would allow me to do so much. In my eyes, it wasn't going to be in my, the best interest of my career. And then he later says in reference to not knowing what was coming in terms of the Vikings not featuring him in, in the passing game, he says people were kind of, I'm not going to say peeing on me and tell me, telling me it was raining. That's a little bit harsh. But once you don't have trust with the person, it's hard to do business. So he basically felt like the Vikings misled him in terms of what his role was going to be. And so it even went into management, not so much just the Cousins thing, too. Just he felt like he was totally blindsided, I guess, with the fact they were going to run through Dalvin Cook. Which, I mean, you could see the signs of it coming. It's like they, they fired John Filippo for throwing the ball too much. And that was the yeah. first year Stephon Diggs had 100 catches. Right. They brought in Kevin Stefanski somewhat with a mandate to run the ball. And then they went and got Gary Kubiak to build the offense. And Gary Kubiak was not going to be a guy that wanted to throw it 45 times a game. I mean, he's, he's a quarterback. Yes. But he's from an era of offense where having a strong running game was a much bigger priority than it has tended to be in the 20, the later part of the 2010s and certainly the early part of the 2020s. So, I mean, you could see the signs of it and and it, it was a little bit like, they didn't make a big secret of this is how they're going to go, but um, maybe he was being told different things privately, in which case um, I could see where you'd have an an issue with that. But yeah, the the signs were kind of all there that it was heading this way. It was. All right, Mike, you got anything? This one from Scott was fun too. I think it's the same Scott. Uh, I know they'd never admit it, but do you think there's a fair number of people in the building tired of developing coaches destined for AFC North greatness? (laughs) <laughs> I think probably alluding to what Brian Billick, Mike Tomlin, and now Kevin Stefanski. In fairness, the Vikings did get Mike Zimmer from the Bengals, so uh, everything evens out. That is pretty good, too, because there has been a little bit of a run, and I think Stefanski's done a pretty good job in yeah. Cleveland. I mean, they're a talented team, but first year, no offseason, all the excuses the Vikings use about having young pieces. Um, Stefanski wasn't installing a completely new system. Yeah, the nine and four, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it. I've wondered about it a little bit this week because, yeah, you you heard all the stuff from different corners of the building about the impressions of Kevin Stefanski, which were very positive. I mean, he had been around an awfully long time, and when he went there, I, you know, a lot of the people in the Vikings building were not asking the same questions about can he do this as I think a lot of the NFL was and that's to be expected because they knew him very well but I I remember talking to a number of people in that building and said this guy is going to go crush it and he was left a very positive impression with a lot of people there and it didn't seem to be much of a question in their minds of whether he was going to be successful which then leads you to the obvious question of did you let him walk out the door after spending all this time where he got to develop in your building and then you, you don't get the, the ultimate kind of payoff of him being your next head coach. And he's only, I think, 38 years old. So, um, they, you know, it, it was a tough spot because to do it, you would have had to 
move on from Mike Zimmer after a year where they went to the playoffs, it would have been a move not in keeping with the ones that they have made recently. But yeah, I, I wonder about that a little bit if there's some buyer's remorse or lack of buyer's remorse or something. Yeah, it's been interesting. That's for sure. Um, and Cle- yeah, and depending on what Cleveland does, does in the playoffs, I mean, I think they're still a playoff team at this point at nine and four, even with a loss to Baltimore. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be watching them in January potentially. Um, all right. Jason asks, does the play of Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith this week make up for make a case, excuse me, for moving on from Kyle Rudolph this offseason? Um, Mike, what do you think? Uh, one word in, one word answer is yes. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't even know if it's just the play of those two guys this past week. I think they're probably trending in that direction anyway, wouldn't you think? I mean, Kyle Rudolph has been really good for this organization for a decade, but there's a shelf life on tight ends. If they're not using him, if they're not going to throw it to him on the goal line, uh, he, he's never been, he, he's probably improved as a blocker, but he's never been the world's best blocking tight end. Um I don't know if he's underutilized this year or just not as capable of getting open, but his, the things that he does well, aren't being, aren't really coming to the forefront this year. And if they're able, you know, I think Irvin Jr. is definitely the more capable pass catcher at this point. And if Conklin can kind of replicate the things that Rudolph used to do well, I think that kind of tells you where they're going to go in the future. Well, and Ben, we, I think we know they like Tyler Conklin a lot, um, especially Kirk Cousins speaks highly of him. And yeah, he does. If you've got Irv and Tyler there, and those guys can kind of do both and work more as a receiver, they certainly featured – I know Kyle had a few uh, decent games, including at Chicago, the opponent on Sunday. But um, if you've got two guys that can kind of do that, why pay – if you're the front office, why pay $7, 8000000 million for Kyle at this point? Yeah, I mean, his cap number next year is nine and a half. So – you would save about $5 million by releasing him. There'd be a little bit of dead money there. Basically half of it, about $4 million, a little more than $4 million of dead money. So it's not nothing, but it is potentially a team that's going to need the cap space. So yeah, I could see it. I mean, it's, he's kind of at that point where you have guys that come in to replace you that are younger and cheaper. And you're probably going to be left with a choice of, could you come back and take another pay cut? I could see that being potentially offered to him, but, um, and he's played his whole career here. He's built his family in Minnesota. Those things matter. I think, especially as you get later in your career, but, uh, he may also look at it and say, I have the ability to be more of a, a piece in an offense than I can see myself being here. So, yeah, I think it's certainly going to be a decision they come to. Yeah, and we we know a little bit more about kind of how he thinks about this because it almost came to that point yep. two years yep. ago, I think, or a year and a half ago. Um, he was answering questions about being on the trading block and just not knowing, you know, where they were going to play in the 2019 season. And this was before they reached that extension that basically kind of bought them two years of financial security. And then after this year is kind of when that bill comes due and the questions kind of come up for him. Um, but at that point, he had talked about kind of, our connections. And when he says, Ari, some of my family, all the work they've done with um, in the community for charity and stuff, um, all the things that have kind of made him that model player that the Vikings want. Um, he said, that'll kind of remain no matter where we play. And so I think he at least was staking the claim at that point that I'm trying to draw the line of like, we're not just going to take nothing yeah. to stay here. Um, I'll get play somewhere else. And you haven't heard that from like the Brian Robinsons, 
Um, there's been other guys who have been Chad Greenway, maybe who have been more willing to be like, it'll be Vikings or not. I think Riley Reef is another guy that could end up having to be faced with that choice because he's had a very good year. I think probably better than we expected given he's kind of had this up and down track a number of years here, but he's played very well, took a pay cut to put Yannick and Cockway on the roster before the season probably is going to be asked to do so again, I would think given their cap situation. Um, but he would have a very strong case to say, you don't know if you have a left tackle behind me and I'm a left tackle and those don't work cheap. So I, I think that that question is going to be very interesting with him too. Now he's another guy that is, this is a, a regional team for him. He's from South Dakota, but it's close. It's as close to home as you're going to get really in the NFL. And I think he likes it here. I think he likes playing in this offense. So that's going to be another interesting one to see what he decides to do, because he, I think would have a very strong case to say, fine, come if you want, but I can go make a lot of money as a left tackle somewhere else, at least for a year or two. And you could also see him saying, well, I, I like it here. I don't really want to you know, reinvent things and try to go play somewhere else. So yeah, a number of questions probably with those two guys. And the other one, in my mind, be Anthony Barr. I think there's decisions with all those guys coming this offseason. Yeah, uh, Reef Reef will be interesting. I, I can't assume he's willing to give them even more money um, than the five million or whatever that he already kind of gave up to stay here. But as you said, he does he does like it here. Um, all right, Chris asks: Did Anthony Harris make a mistake not signing a long term deal given his lack of statistical production this year? Um, that's interesting. He would have loved to have signed a long-term deal with the highest bidder had the Vikings not franchise tagged him. And so that basically tanks you at the negotiating table and you're stuck with one suitor to negotiate with. So I don't, without being in the room and hearing every negotiation, it's hard to say like he made this mistake because who knows what the best deal he could have got from the Vikings was. Um, he basically kind of got, for lack of a better word, screwed because he didn't have the open market that he was supposed to have after his career year. Yeah, I mean, that that's where you end up. And I think everybody was a little surprised that they put the tag on him. I mean, that was not something that a lot of people expected they would do. And initially, when they did it, a lot of the chatter was they're going to do it to trade him. And you basically kind of do what the Jaguars did with Yannick Ngakwe. You, you tag him and then you trade him. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to see with him because he's not had a great year he, I mean you saw it on Sunday you saw the mistake on the on the touchdown which was like similar to what we saw earlier in the season a couple of different times but yeah I, I do wonder about that as well because I, I can't imagine the offer is going to be better than what he got last year always surprises me how old he is too I, I should stop being surprised but like he's going to turn 30 in the middle of next season I'd like I always think he's like three years younger than that like if he was going to cash in with a longer term contract not to say he can't still but you know there's not only the matter of performance there's a matter of age with you know, with, with someone who's you know whose clock is ticking a little bit more and it's so much different in football too because he's like feeling where he came up as a special teamer that he, those guys don't get paid a whole lot the short-term contracts don't get paid a whole lot and your earning potential is just shortened whereas you get a guy you know basketball that development starts at 18 in the pros not 21 well, and the other point with him is when you're an undrafted free agent, it takes you longer to get to free agency. Same thing with Adam Thielen. Your first crack at it is as a restricted free agent, which means you're going to get less money and you have less of a market to work with. So that thing of if you're drafted, 
even if you're a seventh round pick matters because it affects and not everybody makes it out of those late rounds, but if you're a guy like Anthony Harris or Adam Thielen and you make it that far, it affects how soon you can get to unrestricted free agency, which is when you really get paid and what your market looks like when you get there. Ramball Stu has a good question. Has Mike Zimmer listened to Evermore yet, or is he still digging on folklore? I'm just like, just absolutely loving the idea of Mike Zimmer listening to Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> he does like country. I don't know that we'd call Taylor Swift country anymore. I mean, no. I think he's more into bro country from what he's talked about. Yeah. She's like a Kenny Pesney. She's kind of she's kind of crossing a lot of genres that I'm not sure Mike yeah. Zimmer would be like. He's probably I haven't listened much to 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 Evermore. I probably have to say he might he might still be on folklore. <laughs> he would have been more like in a country Taylor Swift, but yeah, pop I think so. Taylor Swift is throwing the ball too much. Just like <laughs> just I mean, run like the ball. Gary Kubiak, yeah. probably at the end of the early albums. John D. Yeah. probably likes the poppy stuff. Is that? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. That? And then I don't know who's into the late stuff. Maybe. Uh, I don't know who on the Vikings would be into the late stuff. I, I, I don't know who's got more of an eclectic taste on the Vikings. Maybe nobody. I don't know. Should we end with a chicken finger statement of the week? Yeah, let's do it. Please hold Goodell accountable. That's it. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That's it. Please hold or Goodell. Or what specifically? Screwing I think he was, he was mad about the pass interference calls on, uh, on Sunday. Oh, okay. We got hosed. Uh, we got See, hosed. it could have... It could have been any number of things that Goodell probably needs to be held accountable for, but it's the pass interference call. Pass interference, <laughs> the obvious anti-Vikings bias uh, that's, that's been happening. I thought like concussion settlements, concussion settlements, grifting local markets no. for stadium dollars. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Waking up every morning with the stated intent to screw over the 14th biggest market in the country. The fix indeed is in. That was though, I mean, that was, it was such, a bad call. That was such a bad call. That was such a bad call. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. It was a bad call, but uh, yeah, there's. I don't. I, you know, we hear it, we hear it all the time. I don't buy the conspiracy theories. <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah, we could wrap it up here. Thank you guys for checking out this episode of the Access Vikings podcast and this Facebook Live video. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>